Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. And we ask, Father God, as we look at your word this morning, that you would be our teacher. We are so desperate for you. And as we look at this awesome picture, Father God, of your Holy Spirit falling upon your people, I pray, Lord, that that we would realize, Lord, that that's not an act for just 2,000 years ago, but Lord, you desire to fall upon your people today. Lord, you desire to not just be with us or in us, but upon us, overflowing from us, touching the world around us. And Father, I pray as we look at this example, Lord, that it would touch our lives and transform us into the men and women of God you've called us to be. So Father, we thank you that the power comes from heaven and not from us. We pray that you would be our teacher again. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now last week we began the book of Acts, and as we know, the book of Acts... It's really called the Acts of the Apostles, and I think a more appropriate name would probably be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And we saw last week that the Gospels came to an end, and now Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven. We saw Him walking for 40 days upon the earth, and He was ministering to the Apostles, but He told them that He was going to go away. Now in John 20, He had breathed on them and given them the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit had come in them. But he'd made a promise to them that the promise of the Father was yet to come. That the Holy Spirit would not just be with them or in them, but he would be upon them in a more powerful way. And so we'll see as we look at it this morning that that God desires to do that in us as well. Now we see that he'll take this small number of people, and and the book of Acts covers about a 30-year period of time, and he's going to take this small number, about 120 people, and over a 30-year period is going to, impact the entire world with the gospel message and you know what god desires to do the same thing today you know santa cruz county needs jesus amen santa cruz means holy cross my prayers that god would bring revival here but it needs to start in our hearts but we want to reach santa cruz that's our jerusalem and then the judeas and the samarias and other places that god allows us to minister and so we saw in the gospels that jesus worked through his physical body and he ministered his truth but in the book of Acts, as it is today, he no longer works through his physical body, but through his spiritual body, which is what? It's church. So as he once worked through his physical body, now he works through his spiritual body, and that's you and me. And God saved us to use us. We've talked about this many times. God did not save us that we might be pew potatoes. Amen? That we might be the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town. God saved us to use us for his glory saved you he called you he's given you gifts and he desires to use you so he instructed them as we saw last week he was going to depart and he ascended back into heaven and he said i want you to wait in jerusalem and i'm going to send to you the holy spirit it says in acts 1 verse 8 but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem judea samaria and to the end of the earth And we talked about the word there, power is dunamis, and it's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And when the Holy Spirit is upon somebody, it's explosive, the transformation that happens in their life. When the Holy Spirit's upon you, you're not mamby-pamby about your faith. Christianity isn't just a part of who you are, it's what you're all about. And that's the Lord's desire for every single one of us. Jesus ascended into heaven, and as He did, they watched Him, and I know that the Lord specifically wanted them to see him ascending he wanted them to know that he was going away but the angels appeared and said to them look he's going away but he's coming back 
You're, you're looking up into heaven, the angels appeared and said, this same Jesus as he goes away in the clouds is coming back. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is coming back? Amen? And you know what? As we know that he's coming back, there should be a sense of urgency in our hearts to be sharing with the lost and dying world. So I titled the message this morning, The Power from Heaven. And that's where the power originates. And we're going to first look in the second half of Acts chapter 1 at the appointment of Matthias. And what I believe is Peter, as he's waiting upon the Holy Spirit, as the Lord had called him to do, I believe that he steps outside of God's will and in his own fleshly ways, they appoint an apostle. And I'll give you the reasons why I believe that's true. And then as we get into the, to Acts chapter 2, and again, time willing, we're going to look at the church waiting, the church worshiping, the church witnessing, and finally, the church walking. So let's begin in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit, again, the Lord has gone away. He's told them to wait. They've seen Him ascend into heaven. And they're in the upper room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Look at verse 15. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Excuse me, down to 15. That was 12. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and altogether the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So as they're waiting there and they're praying, and we know this was about a 10-day period. It was a 10-day period from the time when Jesus ascended into heaven until Pentecost came when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And during those 10 days, they were in the upper room and they were of one accord and they were praying and seeking the face of God. But during that time, Peter stands up and says, the Lord spoke by David. The Holy Spirit spoke by David. He attributes David's words to the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who inspired all of Scripture. And he speaks to the 120 that are gathered in that room. And we talked about the fact that there were men and women there, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And we noted last week that they were not praying to Mary. Amen? They didn't all turn around and, and start praying to Mary. Mary was praying to the Father, and we don't pray to Mary today, and we don't pray to saints today. We pray to God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for us. Amen? We don't pray to anybody else. Why would you want to when you can talk to the Creator? And so we see there that as they're praying, he stands up, and we see Peter, you know, not unlike Peter in the past, he steps up and he begins to, to exhort the guys and tell them what needs to be done. It says in verse 17, For he was numbered with us and attained a part in this ministry. He's talking about Judas. And Judas was numbered among the apostles. He traveled with Jesus for three years. And even though he walked with the Lord and he spent time with the Lord and he heard the words of the Lord, Judas never gave his life to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been going to church a long time. And maybe you've walked with the Lord, in a sense. And you've been hanging around church and you, you know, your parents drug you to church. Pastor Chuck says that when he was a kid he had a drug problem. His mom, his mom drug him to church, she drug him to Sunday school, she drug him to, to, you know. And the reality is maybe you've got a drug problem. Maybe you've been drugged to church and maybe someone's been bringing you and, and maybe you're coming for other reasons. But the reality is it's not good enough just to have fellowship or be around those who know God. We must know God ourselves. And Judas did not. And Judas, after three years of walking with the apostles, we know how it ended. Look at it says in verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and fell headlong and he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. 
There was a field purchase with the money that Judas was given. Judas betrayed our Savior for 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a common slave. He then, after he had betrayed the Lord, was convicted about it and went back and gave the money back to to the uh, Pharisees. We know that the Pharisees would not keep what they call blood money, and they went out and they bought a field with it. Now we know that Judas then went out, and how did he die? He hung himself. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know what? When you follow after Satan, because the Bible says that Satan entered Judas, right, in the upper room, he entered him, that when you follow Satan, the the result is always the same. It's death, and it's, it's painful, and it's wicked. And that's what he desires to do. Satan is not somebody we, we mess with. Leave the, let the Lord take care of him. Amen? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But Judas fell into the trap, and Judas was looking for a, a physical Messiah here and now, and he went out and he betrayed our Savior. And it says in verse 19, It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called, in their own language, Akildama, that is the field of blood. So when he hung himself, based on taking all the scripture together from Matthew and from here in Acts, he hung himself, but whether it was as he hung himself or after his body uh, you know, had, after had been hanging there a while, we know that he, his body fell to the ground. I want to get too graphic, but I don't know if his head was severed from his body or what happened, but his guts burst open and there's no doubt where Judas was at. I've heard people say to me, Judas was just walking in the will of God doing what he, was, what he did. No, he wasn't. Satan doesn't enter anybody to do the will of God. And Jesus said of him, it would be better for him if he had never been born. If Jesus says that about you, that's not good. (laughs) Amen? And so we see here that that Judas had died, and and Judas had fallen prey to the enemy, and now we're going to see Peter is going to look at Scripture and realize that there's a need to replace him. But I believe, again, that he makes a mistake. Look what it says here in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. So Peter takes Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, and he brings them together to reveal the fact that there's a need to replace Judas. Now there was a need to replace Judas, but let me ask you a question. Who is it that appointed the the twelve apostles? Jesus. And guess who's going to appoint what I believe is the twelfth apostle? It's going to be Jesus. But what happens here is that I believe these guys jump the gun. And Peter jumps up and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. I'm thinking if the Holy Spirit's about to come upon you, making decisions beforehand is probably not a good idea. I'm thinking having the Holy Spirit upon you is the best thing you could possibly do. Waiting for the Holy Spirit to show you and to lead you and to guide you. And instead we see Peter here, look what he says. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all this time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So we see the requirements for apostleship. You must have walked with Jesus and you must be a witness to his resurrection. That's why there are no more, I believe, no more apostles today. The closest thing we'd have to an apostle today would be a missionary. Apostle means sent one. One sent with a specific mission. But for, to be an apostle, they had to have witnessed and seen the risen Savior. And so they say, they turn around and they start to pick out, one of these guys must be the one that God has. But there was another that I believe God would choose. Who is it? Paul. Paul. Who was the one that knocked him off his high horse? 
Who was the one that saw Jesus, right? And he saw the risen Savior. And I believe that's a prerequisite, and I believe Paul is ultimately the, the apostle. He's referred to that throughout the Bible. But we see here that these guys move quickly and say, well, we've got to replace Judas, so let's find someone to replace him. It's got to be someone that's been hanging out with us. It's got to be someone who's seen the risen Lord. Again, good requirements, but not necessarily God's perfect will. And they purpose two. Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen. Now, it's interesting, again, some debate and think that they were in the center of God's will to do this, but how many of you have ever given God two choices? And they're both wrong. Lord, which of these two women am I supposed to marry? Neither one of them. You know, it's interesting, before I came to San Jose, I was visiting my parents, and I was in Southern California for 10 years while I was a youth pastor, and God had put on my heart it was time to leave and go start a church. And there were there's a thing called a Calvary Pastors Wanted List, and I was in contact with these two places, and one of them was a suburb of Houston, Texas, and the other one was in North Carolina, and I was praying, okay, Lord, which one do you have for me? Neither one. Amen? And I went to Pastor Don, and I was seeking his counsel, and he told me to come and pray, and make a long story short, God's answer was Santa Cruz. And sometimes we come before the Lord, and we give him two, well, is it this one or this one? No, it's neither one. And they come before and say, well, is it this guy or is it this guy, Lord? Show us which one. And the Lord has much greater plans than that. It was neither one as far as I'm concerned. Verse 25. To take part in this ministry, the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Which one of these guys? And again, I believe they jumped the gun. And here's why I believe it. Because they're going to use an Old Testament method to pick the to pick one of the apostles. Look at verse 26. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Do you see casting lots after the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles ever again? No. Why? Because you don't need to cast lots. You don't need to roll dice. You don't need to, you know, set out a fleece. By the way, I don't believe putting out a fleece is godly. Well, I'm going to do this, and Lord, if, you know, if, Lord, if I bowl a strike on this ball right here, then, then Lord, I know you want me to go do this. You know, Lord, if, if I, you know, and, and we put all these, if the phone rings in the next four minutes, Lord, then that's weak. We're trying to put conditions on God. Lord, I'm going to put ten pennies in my pocket. I'm going to take them out after all heads, then I know you're telling me yes. And that's kind of what they did. They cast lots, and it fell to Matthias, and Matthias was numbered among the eleven apostles. How many more times in the Bible do we hear about Matthias? Zero. Casting lots. Not God's plan. When you have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you and dwelling upon you, do you need to roll dice to figure out God's will? Lord, show me. Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. I've said this many times and some people struggle with it. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and then do what you want. You know why? Because when you're in love with Him and you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, you're going to want what He wants. And they're waiting upon the Holy Spirit and they jump the gun and say, well, we've got to get another apostle because when that Holy Spirit gets here, we've got a lot of work to do. We need one more guy. Let's get a committee together and let's vote on which one we should have. You know what? There's no voting anywhere. Do you see Jesus ever voting? Is there any voting? In it? No. You listen to God. 
God, God will guide and lead and direct us in, in all truth. And so they cast their lots for Matthias. And again, I believe they missed the Lord because to me it's obvious from history that Paul was the apostle because never again did they cast lots. And after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were led by the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit leads, you don't need to flip a coin, roll dice, set out a fleece, pray, seek the Lord, read the Word, and the Holy Spirit will lead you. Amen? God's words. All the answers you need are right here. So they cast lots. Matthias is the, is the new apostle. And now we're going to move on and look at the coming of the Holy Spirit. The power that comes from heaven. And the only true source of power. Now most of you know up until last March I was working full time. I sold advertising. And we used to have these motivational speakers who used to come in. And we had this one guy show up one time. just killed me. This guy comes in and he had this mantra. And this was his mantra. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And he kept saying that. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And that's, why I'm, and that's where my power comes from. I sizzle with power. And he kept saying it. I'm like, dude, if you don't get saved, you're going to be sizzling. But there will be no power. And you will not be enthusiastic about it at all. Amen? But he kept saying, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And if you believe it, you can achieve it. You ever heard that before? If you believe it, you just got to believe, right? And the power is within you, and you know, everybody's jumping up and down, and everybody's trying to get this emotion that comes from within you. The Bible says, in you dwelleth no good thing. Amen? We don't need more of me. I need to die. Amen? And in the church today, we even see this whole positive thing. Got to be positive. It's the positive mentality. That, no, it's not. It's dying to self and being filled with the Spirit of the living God that will transform you. Amen? Not coming from within you. And we see it in the church today. Robert Schuller says that when he sees the cross, he sees a big plus symbol. I'm not kidding. It's a big plus. Dude, it's a place where Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not a big, we've got to just be positive. No, we need to die to ourselves and be filled with Him. And where does the power come from? It doesn't come from within us, you know, the unction and sizzling with power and enthusiasm. That's not where it comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit falling upon us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. But sadly, you know, it really breaks my heart because it's the Word of God and a totally dependence upon the Spirit that can cause us to, to be convicted by the Spirit and led by the Spirit and have an impact on the world around us. But the church today is replacing the Word of God with programs and focus groups and target marketing and mass mailings, seeking to draw a crowd with entertainment and preaching to the felt needs of the masses. You know what? The first century church didn't have the things that we think that we need today to be successful. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have money. They didn't have political influence. They didn't have PowerPoint presentations. All they had was the Holy Spirit moving mightily among them, and they turned the known world upside down. Amen? What do we need today? More programs? Preaching to felt needs? Send out a survey. Oh, people are really struggling with their finances. So let's have ten keys to financial freedom. Five steps to happiness. Beaver doesn't live here anymore. The series. How to overcome your anger. You know what? We need the Word of God to transform our lives, not a bunch of, you know, pablum and sermonettes for Christianettes. Amen? We need the Word of God to transform us. It's not the programs and great marketing that grows the church. If you looked at the book of Acts, you'd say, these guys are a bunch of marketing idiots. They didn't do any surveys. They don't know who their target market is. Who's our target market? 
everybody. He said, go through into all the world. Go there out to the upwardly mobile. Go therefore into those who will really tithe a lot. I mean, that's, but the world today has target markets in the church, and his target was every sinner who's in desperate need of a Savior. And so we see them gathering together, and they're waiting upon the Holy Spirit, and they, they won multitudes not because of their programs, but because they were people who were ignited by the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is available to everyone in this room. The same Holy Spirit that fell upon Peter and fell upon Paul can fall upon you. What's the difference between you and Peter? You're both born again, if you're born again, if you're giving life to the Lord, and he desires to use you the same way that he used him. You just need to be available and say, Lord, use me. So we're going to look at, again, we probably won't get through the whole text, but we're going to look at church waiting, church worshiping, church witnessing, and finally the church walking. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now Pentecost, penta, means 50. 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits came the Feast of Pentecost. Feast of First Fruits was a celebration that they, that at harvest time, and that's when Jesus rose from the dead. It took place the first Sunday after Passover. When did Jesus raise from the dead? The first Sunday after Passover. Every one of the Old Testament feasts that you see was pointing to Jesus Christ. We know the Passover itself is a picture of the cross. The Feast of First Fruits is a picture of His resurrection. And here at Pentecost, we see a picture of the Holy Spirit. So they've come together in one place. They're there for ten days. They're praying and they're just seeking God's face. They're waiting upon the Lord. Let me ask you a question. We live in the microwave society. We want everything in 30 seconds or less. If we've got to wait in the drive through line for 90 seconds, we're like, man, are these guys slow or what? Right? This is my kid just the other day. Man, this is taking forever. <laughs> forever? 83 seconds. It's set on the clock. When was the last time you waited on the Lord? When was the last time you turned off the TV and you turned off the radio and you put away everything else and you sat at His feet and you waited upon the Lord? Lord, show me your will. Lord, teach me. Lord, guide me. Lord, direct me. When was the last time you did that? They did it for 10 days. They waited upon the Lord for the promise of the Holy Spirit that was to come. You know, we want, God, give me patience and give it to me right now, right? You know, Lord, teach me this and teach me right now. And we don't want to wait upon the Lord. But they that, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And God desires that we would come before Him and we would wait upon Him. And we see them waiting there upon the Lord. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Holy Spirit came. Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had been active in creation. The Holy Spirit had been breathed into them in John chapter 20. And now they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. It had to be in that order. Passover, first fruits, then Pentecost. It had to be the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus went away, and then He sent the Holy Spirit to empower His body, the church, to move mightily for Him. The word there for it says a sound came from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. The word there for wind is the same word as spirit in both the Greek and the Hebrew. And the spirit fell and came in a mighty and a powerful way as a mighty rushing wind. And notice there that they were sitting and praying when he came. 
They didn't have to go and tarry at the altar. They weren't bouncing up and down, and they weren't, you know, trying to irk up some emotions. And they, they were sitting, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit came. Too much today of what happens with the Holy Spirit becomes a show. You know, people are jumping up and down and playing music and trying to amp people up. We don't, we don't push God into doing things. Amen? We don't have to, you know, urge it up by doing, you know, by having all this emotionalism. We just need to sit at His feet and say, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. I'm waiting upon you. And the Bible says if you ask for the Holy Spirit, He will give you the Holy Spirit. Every single time. You don't have to force it. You don't have to, to make it happen. You don't have to be emotional. They're sitting and they're waiting. And then a, a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And I want to tell you this. This sound must have been like a train. It must have been a mighty sound because we're going to see in a few verses that everybody in town shows up when they hear it. The sound is so loud that it draws a huge crowd. The people that were there for, for Pentecost, for this great feast, all came to where these men were and these women were because they heard this sound in a mighty and a powerful way. Verse 3, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. Tongues of fire. When you see fire throughout the Bible, it often signifies the divine presence of God. What spoke to Moses and told him to go and set the people free? What was it? A burning bush, which was a picture of what? The presence of Almighty God. Those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights, when they were in, Exodus, in the book of Exodus, when they moved the tabernacle, what was it that led them through the wilderness? And then what was it that abided upon the tabernacle? The Shekinah glory of God in what? A pillar of fire. Remember that? Even if you want to look at Daniel and you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the fiery furnace. And who was in the fire with them? It was the Lord. And so often when you see fire, it's a picture of the presence of Almighty God. And so these tongues of fire come upon them, and it's a picture of the fact that Almighty God is reaching down from heaven, and He's anointing them, not with the Holy Spirit just with them, that the world calls their conscience, or the Holy Spirit in them, that He had done back in John chapter 20 when they gave their lives to Him and they were born again, but now the Holy Spirit upon them. Holy Spirit is coming upon them that they might do great works for the kingdom of God. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to make something really clear here so we understand. Tongues is not necessary for salvation. And Paul said that tongues is the least of the gifts. It is a gift for today. It is a prayer language that's personal between you and God. It can also be in a believer's meeting where someone speaks in tongues and someone gives an interpretation. But churches today that say, unless you speak in tongues, you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you there's places all over the Bible where people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they don't speak in tongues. And I want you to understand something here. That the word here for tongues, as we're going to see in verse 6 and 8 and, and so on, is dialectos, which means known languages. So when they're speaking in tongues in this case, now there, are, there is a prayer language between you and the Lord that God may give you as a gift. And if you don't have it, you know, and you desire it, pray and ask God to give it to you. But it's between you and the Lord and it's done in your prayer closet. But here in this case, the word is dialectos, which means dialects, which means known languages. And so as they began to speak in other tongues, there was a reason why they began to speak in other tongues. It wasn't so that everybody would have Jesus bumps and go, wow, that was really, wow, check that out. Did you hear what happened? 
It wasn't so that people were barking in the spirit or you know, any of this other you know, emotional stuff that happens. There was a reason that they spoke in tongues. And the reason they spoke in tongues is that they might magnify the name of God and touch the people that were around them. It's interesting to me that at the Tower of Babel, God, or Tower of Babel, God used language to confuse and divide godless people in the midst of a wicked pursuit. But here at Pentecost, God used language in the midst of a godly and willing vessels to both proclaim the truth of the gospel message and to draw them together and to bear witness of that message that it was from Him. Look at 5-7. through seven. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. From every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. So this is how we know that the sound wasn't a whisper. Probably, you know, it was, it was a heavy sound. It was a rushing mighty wind, and it drew the people to, to the apostles and to those in the upper room, the disciples. And as they all came together, God's going to minister to them through the Holy Spirit. It says, and they were confused because every one of them heard them speak in his own language. So why did he give them tongues? Why did he give them the gift of tongues in this case? So that the people who came could hear the wonderful works of God in their own language. If you heard a mighty rushing wind and a mighty sound that drew you into a place, and then when you got there and you spoke Italian, didn't have Italian back then, but if you spoke Italian, whatever language you spoke, and all of a sudden somebody gets up and starts speaking in your language, But here's the interesting part. It isn't just that. It says because every one of them heard in his own language. It's even possible that they were all speaking and everybody heard all 120 of them in their own language. And no matter which language that they had, they all heard it. The wonderful works of God. This is the Holy Spirit upon somebody. They become a mighty witness to the truth of who God is. And so we see the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they become witnesses. Miracles that come from God will always glorify God. God will never give miracles to glorify men. Amen? Won't glorify a man's ministry, won't glorify a person. It will bring glory to Him, because He alone is worthy to be worshipped and praised. Verse 7, Then they all were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Galileans was almost like a put-down. Aren't these guys just common, everyday guys? How is it that they're speaking in all of our languages? Where did this come from? It came from God coming upon them. How many of you, think about this yourselves, how many have known somebody before they gave their life to the Lord, and then you saw them give their lives to the Lord, but then something even more radical happened after that, now they're just totally sold out on fire for God. How many have ever witnessed that before? You know what? Who gets glorified? Man, God's done something radical here. When they came in and heard the wonderful works of God in their own language, they couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny that, that a miracle was taking place. They couldn't de- deny the mighty rushing wind that came into their presence. Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. They're up speaking mumbo-jumbo that we can't understand. 
That is not the gift of tongues in a congregational meeting. Amen? There must be an interpretation. There must be understanding of what those tongues are for. Not somebody getting up and going, whoa, whoa, and everybody bringing a chime, and everybody starts. That's not from God. The, Lord, the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? When the Holy Spirit moves, people know it. People don't walk out confused. They walk out touched and transformed by the Spirit of the living God. And so we see here that they begin to speak, and they're speaking the wonderful works of God. So they go from waiting to worshiping. What happens when the Holy Spirit falls upon you? You begin to worship like no other time in your life. Amen? When the Holy Spirit is upon you, you go from waiting upon the Lord to worshiping the Lord. Many of you, maybe you've been in a, uh, at a retreat or maybe you've been in a place where you've been worshiping and the worship is just so sweet and you just feel like you've, you're, you're, you're touching heaven almost. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And when you're worshiping, you just don't want to leave. I just want to, Lord, I just want to stay right here. I just want to worship you. You know, my prayer is that that's how it will be here every Sunday morning. Amen? We don't need afterglows. We need before glows and during glows and all the time glows. Amen? I want, man, we need to be worshiping all the time. But as the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you love to worship. By the way, worship is one of the, if you want to get an idea what heaven's going to be like, worship. Because worship is one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. Amen? What are we going to do forever? We're going to worship. And it's not going to be a drag or a bummer. It's going to be awesome. Amen? I don't know how I'm going to get my mouth open when I see my Savior. I'm going to be in awe of awesome God. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But there's going to come a point where we're just going to worship from the depths of our hearts. When we get to heaven, we won't be witnessing to anybody. Everybody there is saved. Amen? We won't, we won't be reading our Bibles anymore because the Word will be standing right in front of us in the person of Jesus Christ. But we will be worshiping. And if you want to get a taste of heaven, worship. Put some worship music in your car. Drive around. Spend time in the presence of God. And they began to worship and to, to share out the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, these guys are drunk. These guys are lit. Man's reaction to the Holy Spirit. Some respond and say, whoa, there's something real about this God. I got, man, this is incredible. And they're drawn to it. And others will accuse people of being drunk. A lost world will always try to give a natural explanation for a spiritual occurrence. When God's voice spoke in John chapter 12, the people said, oh, it was thunder. When Jesus rose from the dead, they said, oh, somebody stole his body. When the Holy Spirit came, they said, oh, these guys are drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're drunk, you feed your flesh, you lose control, and it leads to shame and regret. When you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, it transforms your life and touches everyone around you and brings glory to Almighty God. Amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? I don't need drugs or alcohol. I got Jesus. Amen? I, I don't need that garbage. That stuff gives me a headache. I don't drink it or touch it anyway. And you know what? I don't need it because I got the Lord. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there anything better than being filled with the Spirit of the living God? Nothing. It's a taste of heaven. Being drunk is a taste of hell. By the way, beer is rancid. How do people, how do people drink that stuff? I remember being a kid and tasting it. You, know, you see all the commercials. 
He thought it was going to taste like a Coke or something, right? Oh, that's wrong, right? It's just wrong. It's a joke, right? It's the biggest scam going. It's just nasty tasting. Nobody liked beer the first time. You had to, if you have to acquire a taste for it, don't drink it. Amen? And so be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit of the living God. You don't have to go down to the bar and sit in the bar and, you know, in the dark. Isn't it amazing how all bars are dark? Why is that? Okay. Right? Uh, right? Wake up the next day puking in the gutter. They never show that in the beer commercials. But here's the thing. Instead of going out in the bar and sitting at the end of the bar and having a drink, why don't we get on our knees and cry out to Almighty God and wait upon Him and be filled with the Spirit of the living God instead? And, see, and bring out the wonderful works of God. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the church waiting. We see the church worshiping. Now we're going to see the church witnessing. Because what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? What is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit being in you? You worship the Lord. You have a supernatural love for the lost. But the ultimate picture is what it said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be what? witnesses to me when the holy spirit is upon you you can't help but tell others about jesus christ amen you know what i've been married almost 18 years i love introducing my family to people because i love my wife and i love my kids i love hey i want you to meet my family i would love when my family would come into work and i would take them around every this is my family because i love them And you know what? As much as I love my wife and I love my kids, I love Jesus more. And how much more should we want to introduce our co-workers to our Savior? Amen? I got someone I want you to meet. And that Holy Spirit boldness comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now look what it says here. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is the same Peter that 50 days earlier, when a little girl came up to him, when he was warming himself at the enemy's fire, and said, you're one of the ones with Jesus. What did he do? He cursed and denied that he knew the Lord. 50 days later, he's going to stand up in front of all the devout Jews, and he's going to let them know, as we're going to see here in a few verses, Jesus Christ is God, you guys put him to death, and you guys are going to be accountable for it, and you need to repent, and you need to be born again. What happened from Peter at the, at the fire with the little girl talking to him? No, I'm not one of them. <laughs> to standing up in front of the crowd and saying, it's Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. You might, say, you might be standing here this morning and say, I, I, I just, Pastor Dave, I don't, you know, I'm not bold like you. I don't, I don't have that... You know, I'm not a people person. I'm just not real outgoing. I'm kind of shy. You know what? Who were the apostles? The most dynamic speakers of the day? Moses was a stutterer. Remember that? Well, I can't can't go back and tell him. That's what he said. But God uses the shy, and he uses the stutterers, and he uses those who are not eloquent of speech. Why? That he might be glorified. Bunch of fishermen who never caught any fish anywhere in the Bible. And God uses them. And if God can use them to turn the known world upside down, can He use us to turn Santa Cruz right side up? Can He? Yes, He can. And all we have to do is say, Lord, use me. 
Send your Holy Spirit upon me. No longer timid. No longer double-minded. Peter became bold. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come upon him. He had fled at the crucifixion, and now he stands up at Pentecost. He had denied the Savior, and now he's boldly speaking on his behalf. The only difference is not 27 years of classes, not you know a 12-step program. It was Jesus Christ touching him through the power of the Holy Spirit, him being filled with the Spirit of the living God, and him becoming bold for our Savior. We can be just as bold. We can be used just as mightily if we had let the Holy Spirit indwell us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible in 2 Chronicles says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of. And my prayer is daily, Lord, let me be that man. Let me be that man that when your eyes are looking, let me be available. Not that I would be glorified, but Lord, that you would be glorified. And Peter, right here, Holy Spirit comes upon him, and instead of cowering by the fire, instead of hiding during the crucifixion, he's standing up and he's bold for the kingdom of God because he knows that the Spirit dwells within him. Look what he does. I want you to see this. We're almost done. Look what he does here when he witnesses to them. Where does he take them? To the Word of God. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter, this, is not, this ultimate fulfillment of this text out of Joel, Joel, uh, um, out of Joel is a picture of what will happen in the end times during the millennial reign. But what he's saying is the Holy Spirit began at Pentecost and is going to be actively working until the second coming going to be actively working during that entire time. The Holy Spirit was not just being poured out on the apostles. The Holy Spirit is still being poured out upon us today. And, and, and these mighty and awesome things the Holy Spirit has yet to do. But it had begun, and they had seen it in their midst. And I love verse 21 where it says, and, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking about the second coming of Christ, that awesome and great day. There's great anticipation among those who are filled with the Spirit of the living God. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a great anticipation of Christ coming back. You're looking up all the time. When you're filled with the flesh, you don't even think about it. You're focused on your career. You're focused on... And again, should we do our job as unto the Lord? Absolutely. Should you be the best worker in the building? Without a doubt. Should your career be the most important thing in the world to you? Absolutely not. We should be looking up and being ready for the fact that our Messiah is coming soon. In the midst of this awesome warning and prophetic truth, Peter adds this promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no other name under heaven through which men must be saved. None. Up until that very last hour, any who call upon the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. But there is no other name, there's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other life, there's no other hope. You can't get there through Buddha, you can't get there through you know, Hare Krishna, you can't get there through any other belief system or ism. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ because He's the only one that rose from the dead. 
And He's the only one that can send the Spirit of the living God to dwell within you. And apart from Him, you can do no good thing. Amen? It's Him that we need to seek. It's Him we need to fall in love with. Last couple verses. It says here, Men of Israel, hear these words. Now watch this boldness. Remember, just think, 50 days earlier, afraid of a little girl standing by a fire, cursing and denying the Lord. And now look at Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, who God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Is this a different guy? Is he denying the Savior? Or is he boldly speaking the truth? We're to speak with boldness, but always speak in love. And he's speaking to the devout Jews. And I love what he says here, guys. He says, attested by God by miracles. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, what did he say? We know that you've come from God because no man can do the works that you do unless God is with him. The miracles testified of the truth of who Jesus Christ was. Jesus walked on water. Why? Because he's God. Jesus healed the leper. He cast the demons out. He touched and transformed everybody's life who he came into contact with who was willing to be transformed by him. Why? Because he's God. And we see here that he says to them, and you know of them. Look, it says in verse 22, and you also know. You guys have personal knowledge. You saw the miracles. You cannot deny the truth. You saw it happen. And then he says in verse 23, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. We talked about this when we were in the Gospel of John. Nobody arrested Jesus. Amen? Who arrested who? Jesus went to the cross willingly. It was predetermined before the foundation of the world. God knew that His Son would have to die to pay for our sin. So He sent Him there, and Jesus went freely and openly to the cross. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put Him to death. But, and then it says in verse 24, and this will be the last verse, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. He tells these guys, not only have you missed the Messiah, but you killed Him. Peter doesn't speak of the cross as some tragic accident, but God's divine and perfect plan had not only missed the Messiah, but again, they had put Him to death. Jesus being God cannot be held by death. It's impossible. The central message of, our, of the church today is Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Without the resurrection, we are the most hopeless of all people. Amen? But we do not serve a dead God. We serve a risen and living Savior. Those of you going again, we talked about this. When we get to Israel in March, our last day there, we're going to have communion outside of the tomb, and we're going to go walking inside of the tomb where Jesus was laid, and guess what? He's not there anymore. Amen? He's in heaven. He's interceding on our behalf. What's the difference between Peter? The Holy Spirit came upon him. He went from being a man who was cowering at the enemy's fire, a man who was easily falling into sin, a man who was really impetuous, would take his sword off and chop people's ears off. Mr. Ready, fire, aim. Mr. Ready, aim, fire, excuse me. He would, he would just fire and then aim. He would just go for it. He was always getting in trouble. Mr. Telling Jesus how to do ministry. 
Remember that? Peter was always, no, Lord, you don't understand. Well, here's what we need to do. That was Peter. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him, and Peter was used mightily by God to touch and transform the world. And as we're going to see next week in this text, at the end of this message, guess what happens? How many people get saved? 3,000. You want to talk about, talk about church growth. Went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one message. And they didn't have PowerPoint, and they didn't have five keys to joy, and they didn't have Bozo the Clown in the parking lot or a petting zoo. Right? He just preached Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and risen from the dead. That's my passion. We need to teach the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want your life to be transformed? You want to stop trying to do things in your own ability? You want to stop being Peter before Pentecost? Chopping people's ears off and, you know, and being out of control and, and hanging out by the enemy's fire? By the way, you become like those you hang around if you haven't figured that out. The people you hang out with, those are going to be people you're going to become like. Peter's standing by the enemy's fire and he became like the enemy. You need to be hanging out with God's people and you'll become more and more like the Lord. What's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit can come upon every one of us and all we have to do is ask. God promises us. If we ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, He will, he will by no means keep it from us. He will pour out His Holy Spirit upon us, not just with us or in us, but upon us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that You desire to transform our lives and to make us into the men and women of God that You want us to be. And Lord, we know that without You, we can do absolutely nothing. But Father, we know that in the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we die to self and as we're filled with You, the Lord, You can do great and awesome things. And Lord, just as You turned the known world upside down with these 120 people who waited upon you, who worshipped you in spirit and in truth, who filled with your spirit, were bold and shared your truth without compromise. Lord, you can do the same thing with those of us in this room this morning. And Father, I just pray for any here who desire that you would, just as we prayed last week, for many who stood up and asked that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Lord, if there are any here this morning that desire that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, Father, I just pray that even now they would just ask you to pour out your spirit upon them, Lord. And Father, we know that that's a promise that you're faithful to. And Lord, it doesn't cause us to get out of control, but Lord, it brings us under control of the spirit of the living God. Lord, it brings us under control that we might be witnesses for you, that we might touch the world around us, that we might have an impact for your kingdom and for eternity. So Father, we cry out to you and pray that we would be a church that is filled with the spirit of the living God that would overflow out of every one of us and transform our lives and impact those around us. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be in constant place of just desperation for your Spirit to be upon us. May we die to self and be filled with you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.